All right. So we are in the beginning of the year, and we're kind of reminding ourselves of some of the basic stuff that, that helps us to understand who we are as believers in our faith, how to walk it out well. And we started last week looking at the gospel, saying that if, unless we understand the gospel, we actually miss the whole point. And so I'm going to follow that up today with, a, with the gospel part two. We'll do a few weeks covering different things. Um, do you remember the illustration we used of the diamond grader? was this thing of if a, a grade is going to grade diamonds, he first intently studies the perfect diamond and then he grades. And he grades a few, then goes back to the perfect one so that he, in no way does he find himself degrading because he's measuring against the wrong standard. And the idea is that so often in our faith, we measure against the wrong standard. We measure against one another. Well, I'm doing better than, than he is and or oh, I'm doing worse than she is. Rather than we go back to the gospel, which is the perfect diamond, the perfect understanding of what Jesus has done, and we measure according to that, and we keep that in focus. And so we gave some, uh, a definition of the gospel, which I sent out to you. Did you all get it? With some scriptures, I'm not going to read that again. But this understanding that the gospel comes because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. It come, the gospel flows out of the love of God. And as we live the gospel, it flows out of the love of God. And we, I'll give you some of the quotes we said, just so that you can keep, get your mind reorientated again this evening. We said, the gospel is also the power to live the life that God intended us to live. It's not just to get us saved. It's so that we can live. It's, it's not just Christianity 101. It's the whole Degree course, I think as we said it like that. Um, and the gospel is not something we do. The gospel is something that is done for us. Jesus does something and we participate by believing and receiving that which he has done by faith. Um, we said the gospel is news. It's something that is announced. It's good news. So we don't be or do it. We respond primarily through repentance, which is saying, in the light of this information and the light of the information I have about myself, I choose to see that this is better news and I will face that news and embrace that news. And by faith, I will believe that to be true and align my life to that. That is, in essence, the gospel. Um, and we said the gospel is not an Instagram filter. It's not something we place over our lives to make things look more colorful or a little more bright or a little more sharp, you know, a little extra structure. Um, it should propel everything that we do, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's recreation, your devotions, community, mission, church, whatever. The gospel should be the driving factor in all of that. And at the heart of the gospel is this idea of love. We call it to love. And we will get to that in a few weeks' time. We're going to cover that. Um, and we said, we said this, if we disconnect our doing from what Christ has done, then we end in legalism. If we disconnect what we do from what Christ has done, we end up in legalism. And we don't want to be in legalism. We want to live in the freedom that God has given us through His Son, Jesus, by faith. Is that right? So we always stay connected to what God has done. Everything we do is a response to what He has done, not in order to get Him in some way to love us. And so there are three there's a threefold dimension to our salvation. Now, some of this, you know this, you've heard it. Some of you have heard this a hundred times, but we're going back to the diamond to remind ourselves of what we're doing. 
that salvation is past, it's present, and it's future. I am saved. I'm in the process of being saved. I will be saved. That moment that I respond to Jesus in repentance and faith, I am saved. I'm going to cover that in detail today. Not detail, but a fair amount. But then I, in the process of being saved, Paul writes, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, where we participate with the Holy Spirit in that part of our lives where we mature and grow and become more and more like Jesus. That's, I am being saved, and then one day I will be, be saved. Jesus will take all things to be with him, and I'll be with him, and I'll be changed to be like him. So it's a threefold. If we have responded to Jesus through the gospel, then the first part is we are saved. Now we're in this middle part, and we'll get, we're going to look at that next week. Um, the great theological words that we use, does anyone know for those three processes are? Justification, sanctification, glorification. And so we're going to look at a little bit at the justification or that first part today. So I want to read from Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. And again, I'm pulling a text out. Of Romans is the whole story, but I'm, we don't have time to read all of that. Therefore... No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Read that again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. I'm going to stop there for the moment. Is that all right? It's a very, very powerful um, text. And I want to explain some words. We did that a little bit last week and we want to keep doing that. I want to explain some of the words that come out of there that we bandy around in church and they're in our songs. But often we, we don't understand them and I want us to come to grips with them again so that we know exactly what we're talking about. So the first word that I want to touch on briefly is the word law, the law, where it says... No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. What is the law? So for a Jewish person, the law was the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the law. And in that, God gives his people a way to live at a certain point in time and said, these are your laws and regulations. There's 600 and something of them that they have to live by. That will somewhere, if they live by that, they will be righteous in God's sight. All right? They're rules and regulations to live by so that we can find favor with God and be the good person that He wants us to be. Now, if you looked at them and tried to live them within five minutes, you realize it's impossible. You can't live it out. It's impossible to live a perfect life to please a perfect God. It's just impossible. The moment you think, oh, I've got it. You were no longer humble. You lost it. So 
There's, there's no ways to please the perfect God by a perfect life that we can live by obeying laws. It just doesn't happen. Um, actually, Romans 7, which you, if you've got time, go read it, says actually we just become slaves to this law. It, they, it overtakes us and we're trying to do it. It holds us captive. There's no way out because if you go out of it, you're outside the law, then you're a lawbreaker. But we need to be within the law. Imagine if we all decided we weren't going to obey the laws of the land. We'd live outside of the laws of the land. We were lawbreakers. There'd be absolute chaos. Just take stop signs and traffic lights. If you want to see it in operation, go to South Africa. And you will see when those things are. No one follows them. It's chaos. So we, we held captive by these laws that we can't really fulfill. And actually the result of living a life like that, actually guilt comes. I just can't do it. I always feel guilty. Now you might not recognize it always that you feel guilty. But if you sit down and think, how do I live the good life? Man, I'm just not doing it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried my best. I'm just not doing it. Um, But Galatians 3 tells us that this law, we're not abandoning the law, but God gave the law as a way to show us that we needed something more. The law was a guardian, a custodian to us, to help us until God put into place this final plan through Jesus. So when you go to the Old Testament, you often see the processes of God to deal with the law through, you know, sacrifice of animals, etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to go into all of that. To somehow make people in a place where they can stand before God and receive Him for everything that He is. Um, If we didn't have law, we wouldn't know that we're doing something wrong. If we didn't have the Ten Commandments, for example, now you don't even have to be a Christian these days. The Ten Commandments affect everything that we do. They're just in the fabric of life. We know that we shouldn't murder, that we shouldn't steal, all those things. We, we know that. But there's some that we've forgotten, like honor the Lord, you know, don't take his name in vain, and keep the Sabbath. We, we've kind of pushed those ones out. But the other ones we're aware of, oh, I shouldn't steal, I shouldn't covet my neighbor's goods, you know, I shouldn't covet my neighbor's wife, da 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 we're aware of those. They're in us. If we didn't have a law, if there'd never been a law, it would just be free for all. But the law points us towards something. And the reason we're in that place is because of the fall. We all know what the fall is. When humanity decided they could do things better than God, basically. Temptation came, do things better than God. So we have this little thing, this try to govern us, the law. And we know it doesn't work. Um, actually, Outside of biblical Christianity, every religion in the world, every single one, maintains a law. You have to do something to please God. It doesn't matter what religion you go to. If you are Hindu, you've you got to please God. I was talking to Jordan, who's staying with us at the moment. He was born in India, he was raised in India, and we, we were talking earlier. If you don't quite make it, you, great, you just come back again. Try again. And if you don't make it then, what? you come back, you try again. But this time you only miss it by half a percent. Oh, got to come back, try it again. Bummer, miss it by three percent this time. Or you want to become one with the universe. Or if you say enough prayers. Or you read the, these scriptures enough, or you do enough good deeds, or something. Somehow God will be pleased to you, and that's trying to fulfill law, and it's just never 
going to happen? Is it wrong to pray? Is it wrong to study the scriptures? Is it wrong to feed the poor? Absolutely not. We need to do those things. But not so that God will be pleased with us. So then we come to these other words. We want to do like a few sections. Words like sacrifice, atonement, blood, redemption, substitution, most of which were in that, te- that little text from Romans. And actually those words all culminate in the cross. We see them in the Old Testament through sacrificial practices of lambs and doves and turtle doves and heifers and oxen and all sorts of things. But it culminates in the cross. So what is a sacrifice? Something that's offered on behalf of another. We sacrifice. What, what's atonement? Do you all know what the word atonement means? It's to cover. It comes from the word to cover. So when you atone, you are covering the sin. You are atoning for your sin. You're covering it. Right? So they always they covered things in blood. And that's why blood is important. You cover in blood. Why blood? Why not the kidneys? Sorry? Because the life of a creature is in the blood. They told us that in, I think, Leviticus 5. The, the writer, ancient writing says, the life of a creature is in the blood. Do you know that in the modern world or whatever, they only discovered that in 1700 and something. That the life of the creature was in the blood. But the ancient people knew it all along. The life of a creature is in the blood. And you've heard me say many times, you don't have a heart, they can put you in a heart machine. You don't have lungs, put you in a lung machine. You, know, you don't have kidneys, put you in a kidney machine. You do all these things. But you cannot survive without blood. If you have no blood, you will die. The life is in the blood. Hemoglobin, oxyhemoglobin, you know all those words if you've done some sort of biology. We need blood. So the blood is what is offered as an atonement to cover the sin. That's the sac- so the sacrifice is the lamb. It's killed. Its blood is offered to cover the sin. Something is paid. So those who are in slavery, the people of God in slavery, this is offered as a re- redemption. They are redeemed. You take that, I'll take this. There's a redemption. It's a substitution. Instead of us being killed, the lamb is killed. Right, so understand this is all rooted in ancient culture. It makes no sense to us today. People think, oh, that's so barbaric. But remember, this is written thousands of years ago. It's in that culture that we understand this truth. And we have to see it that way. So when Jesus comes and he dies on a cross... We get things like, he is the what of God? The Lamb of God. He comes as substitution. Instead of us who are guilty of our sin because we cannot fulfill the law, instead of us dying, he dies in our place. Substitution. He redeems us from the curse of the law by being the curse for us. There's an exchange. His blood is the shed blood. His blood is the one that atones for the sin and continually atones for the sin. His body is the broken sacrifice. Now, is that all making sense? It's very short. I mean, there's books written on this stuff. So I'm doing it very quickly. Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, actually, as wonderful as this message is, it's total foolishness. 
It's power to those who are being saved and believe. But to those who don't, it's absolute foolishness. And if you'd never heard this before, you too would think it's absolute barbaric foolishness. Would you not? I would. And it's a stumbling block to some. Foolishness to others. But to those who believe, it is the power of salvation. Just read the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. If we don't get this, we haven't understood the gospel at its core in, in Jesus and the cross, whatever. And if we don't understand Jesus and the cross, it's meaningless to Christianity. Then we're just doing ritual. Then we're just doing our own law to somehow appease ourselves. But the gospel is putting our trust into what Jesus has done on our behalf. As Dan read in that text from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writing says, I gave to you the things that are of first importance, that Jesus died and rose again. Now, the resurrection is really important. I'm not going to cover the resurrection today, but it is crucial to this whole understanding because anybody can die for anybody. But the resurrection is the proof that this person who died did something really significant. Um, and so when you read the Old Testament, we don't want to throw the Old Testament away. Jesus loved the Old Testament. Did you know that? He knew it. He read it. He quoted it all the time. He understood his own mission in the light of the narrative of the Old Testament. Because it speaks. It's pointing the way towards Jesus. So we've got the law. All right? Now we've got sacrifice, atonement, blood, redemption, substitution. Is that okay? Was it very brief? Was it understandable? If not, I'm going to give you a whole lot of books you can read. They're all about this thick. The next word is this word, new birth. Um, in John 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is just not understanding kingdom language. He's just not getting it. What? Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom. Now, that word born again is now bandied around as a slogan, and we don't like it so much. Actually, what Jesus is saying, unless you experience a spiritual rebirth, you will never understand the ways of God and the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And he's one of the sharpest guys in all of Israel. He says, what? I've got to go back in my mother's womb? That doesn't make any sense at all. Jesus said, oh boy. You better go read your old Bible again. We need a spiritual rebirth. First the natural, we are born as humans. But to come into God's kingdom takes this new birth. A spiritual birth. That comes from above, that's given to us above, when we respond to this great gospel of Jesus and what he has done. And we respond in repentance and faith and humility. That new birth comes to us. It's where we are translated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Just like that. Simply. Not having to do anything. Not having to obey a set of laws. Just saying, I receive. I believe. And sometimes it is, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Sometimes it is really like that. But I believe that God sees that and responds to that. When that man came to Jesus and said, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus didn't reject him. He accepted him. So in our believing, there's the place for, I don't quite get it. I'm still struggling, but I believe. And God responds to that and, and pours out new birth. Um, 
Is that okay? That's new birth. The next word is the word justification. This great, great word. And um, it's what God does when we experience new birth. When we receive the, this new birth from above, this life from above, spiritually from God into us, we are justified. Now, the word justification is a forensic word. It's a legal term. It's what happens in the courts. When you are declared innocent, you are justified before the law. That happens in our courts today. You are justified before the law. So when you receive the new birth and through repentance of faith and receive this life from God, the law courts of heaven, there's a declaration which says you are justified before the law. You have fulfilled the law. Why? Because Jesus has actually done it and we've believed in what Jesus has done. And covenant language says that we are hidden with, Christ, with God in Christ like this. We are now justified before the law. We are declared innocent. And there's no double jeopardy. Once it's done, it's done. You can't be accused of it again. It's done. You've been washed in the blood. You're hidden with God, with Christ in God, like this. Covenant language. Paul writes, talks about this robe of righteousness we've received. Okay. The next word which goes with it is the word righteousness. In that justification, the judge of all eternity declares us righteous. What does righteous mean? It means to be in right standing, in right relationship with the judge or with the law. So the judge of the universe, weighing up all the options, hears the accuser accusing us of our sin, and the defense comes and says, no, this has already been dealt with on the cross by Jesus. All these law-breaking things have been dealt with. You can't have double jeopardy. And the judge looks and says, you are innocent. I justify you. I declare you righteous. You are in right standing and you can go free and live your life. That righteousness gives us free and unhindered access to God the Father at any time. The sadness about our faith and as, as Christians, and I say this really carefully, is that we have been declared free and we still live as prisoners. The gates have been thrown open and we can walk out, but we choose to stay in the cell. Rather than experience liberty. Rather than experience this new life. And then we say it doesn't work. It's because we haven't stepped out. The door's open, but you have to walk out into your freedom. You have to embrace it. Oh, I remember the day we became U.S. citizens. Do you remember the day? We declared, they said, you are a citizen of the United States just like a natural born American. That's what we were told by President Bush. Except I can't become president. But I'm an American citizen. Now, I can walk out and just be fearful. Oh, I wonder if the immigration are just going to now quickly take me in. No, I'm an American. I can walk in freedom. I have my passport. I can stand on the street corner and exercise my freedom to free speech. Because I'm a citizen. Doesn't make 
But I, I can be so fearful. I'm not going to do that. That I live. Mm, just careful. Stupid example. But do you understand what I'm trying to say? You've got to walk into your freedom. You have to walk into the liberty that God has given us and living in this access to God the Father, that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You, you, the Bible says we co-heir, co-rule with Christ. It's, I mean, it's a powerful thing. And that's a whole other series. We won't even get into it today. But we don't. We say, oh, I'm saved. Great, I'll just keep sitting here. Oh, just in case I go out and I screw up again. No, it doesn't matter if you go out and screw up again. You, in access to the Father, you, it says we enter the throne room of grace boldly to obtain mercy. You don't have to grovel between you, for your Father anymore. You have free access. You can go in any time you like. Say, Dad, I screwed up today. He says, okay, son, okay, daughter. It's going to be okay. My, uh, Jesus has already dealt with it. Thank you for coming in and saying that. Great. Move on. That's what the gospel, as it applies to us, results in. A freedom and a, a life that can and truly be victorious. And I know we can get into victorious living in a weird way. But at least get some way in it. Rather than just hanging around at the, you know. Romans 5.1, which is a scripture we read last week. It says, because of this, we have, I love this language, we have peace with God. In the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. You know what shalom means? It doesn't mean it's just the end of hostilities. It means there's a totality of unity and you receive everything. You're walking in the freedom and the wholeness and the completeness of what you have. We have peace with God. It's not just that he, does, he likes us now. It's actually this bigger than that. Now, how do we understand all of this? How do we discover this? How will you discover the promises that God has given you that you can live in and walk in and truly glory in something God? They're written in here. Now, we don't read the Bible. Oh, in case if I don't read the Bible, God's going to smack me over the head with His Bible. You know, like in the old days, parents would do that with their kids. You haven't read your Bible? With the Bible. We don't do that. We read the Bible because it informs us and it tells us about what our God is like. And it tells us what Jesus is like. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus on the cross. That's what God is like. Self-sacrificing, self-giving, giving himself in love for us. That's what God is like. He's not a tyrant. He's not sitting on the throne of the big stick to whack you when you do something wrong. No, it looks like Jesus on the cross and in the coming and the resurrection. That's what our God looks like. Let's embrace that God. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus said that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it was it James who said, Lord, show us the Father. What's the matter with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's a glorious picture. And we find out, we read this, and we, oh, and then it becomes breathtaking. Rather than, a, oh, there's more rules I have to obey. 
When Paul encourages us to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given us or to pray, he's not asking us to do that so God will be pleased with us. He's asking us to do that so we can get in touch with this Father who loves us and wants to have relationship with and we have peace with and we have free access to. It's a whole different ballgame. That's the gospel. It's what's been done to us, for us, by Jesus, and we receive it. And we get this declaration, innocent, righteous, justified. Go, whoa, go, go live a life of adventure and excitement. Are we breathing? Make sense? We can discuss all of these more. That's, that's this process of becoming a Christian. And as I was preparing it, I suddenly realized it's so easy to forget some of the nuances and forget wow this is amazing this is truly amazing i remember i remember the day that jesus set his affection upon me i remember that day it's the first day i saw linda she stood she was sitting in the seat in front of me i saw her she didn't see But I remember that day. I wasn't looking for him. But he said his affection. I, re- I remember. And Carl was preaching from Romans. And it was life-giving. I remember. Oh, my word. This is exciting. Oh, my word. Changed everything. Now, you can't force the gospel on anybody. Come on, God, get, no. Just say, Lord, I want to receive it. If you've never received it, it's Lord, I want you. Here we go. I believe, yes. It's simple. But so difficult. Because we have to give up ownership. We have to give up lordship of, you know, we the lords of our own lives. You have to give that up a little bit. But it's a process. And we'll look, be looking at that a little bit next week. It's a process. Make sense? Does this sound sort of exciting? I think the gospel is so exciting. I'll close with this quote we had last week as well. If you win people to biblical principles but fail to win them to the biblical Christ, you will simply create religious people who lack the power to change. We just create tidy unbelievers. Churchgoers, rule keepers, rather than people live the adventurous free life in Christ for the sake of God and revolutionize the world.